Hey everybody, I'm Mark Reith here with Tyler Crow and Nate Wallingsford, and welcome to another edition of Industry Focus. It's Thursday, which means it's an energy-focused industry focus, and it should be a fun one filled with plenty of patented Tyler Crow rants. It's going to be great. I'm a, I'm a grumpy old man. I Yes, you absolutely are. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about today, but we're going to kick things off with earnings from both Seadrill and Transocean. And Nate, things are not looking too good for these guys. Yeah, and you know, I think a lot of investors were a little nervous before this earnings release. Um, but as, actually, as of right now, they don't look too bad. Oh. Um, yeah, so uh, to much of the surprise, as I'm sure most analysts and investors are expecting, Seadrill um, and Transition both beat Wall Street expectations. Um, but despite that, shares are still about flat right now. So there haven't been you know, huge jumps that we've seen in the past with the swing in oil prices. Just mm. on this earnings release alone, um, shares have stayed kind of flat. but. We'll get into Cedril first. So, you know, it's no surprise that the stock was down 70% over the last eight months. Um, really, that hasn't changed. But the earnings kind of gave a, a positive light on things. Um, the uh, the revenue beat expectations about 1.26 billion over a 1.25 estimate. So not a huge beat, but still you know, it. Yeah, yeah, it came in a little bit better than expected. Um, although this is still down from the quarter prior uh, Q3 and down from a year ago mm. as well. So um, still not great great news over the long term, but you know they managed to eke out um, success uh, in this most recent quarter. Uh, quarter and with that, um, talking about operations a little bit. They were able to secure uh, five new ch- contracts in the quarter, so this was a little bit of a surprise because, with oil prices being what they are and the huge crash, um, you know, management was still able to go out there and, and secure contracts. Um, right, and nobody's drilling right now. Yeah, right? Exactly. I mean, Why would you if oil prices are still so low? So of that course. is interesting. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Um, so that was kind of a, a good surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, so they added to their backlog about 1.3 billion dollars mm-hmm. um, along with those contracts. So they're sitting right now at a backlog of about 11.6 billion. Which is pretty healthy, considering that they cut their dividend completely now, or eliminated their dividend. So that'll allow them to have some cash going forward to finance uh, their operations. Hang on, they completely eliminated their dividend. Yes, I yeah, did not yeah, know yeah. that. That is that's really a, been out of it. They did huge, that yeah. last quarter. <laughs> that's man. a huge warning sign. Wait yeah. a minute, people freak out about that. Oh, they did. Okay. Oh, they did. Yeah. Okay, I'm just glad I didn't miss that entirely. <laughs> My God. Okay, right. sorry. Have sorry, you been hibernating going. on us? Uh, you know, I just really don't. It, it has been cold here in DC. It's I don't know if you just kind of crawled into your Mark Reed cave yep. it, here at the Fool. Came out with his wonderful beard. Yes. Okay. So Nate, keep going. Uh, what about Transocean? How are they doing? So Transocean, um, pretty much the same story as far as offshore offshore drillers go. Down. 60% over the last eight months. They cut their dividend by about 80%. So they haven't eliminated it completely. But again, I mean, not 80%, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, not looking good. Um, with that, Moody's actually downgraded um, the credit rating on the on the company. So mm. they have uh, lost their investment credit rating as of right now, which uh, is not going to bode well for financing future operations uh, in 2015 and, and maybe even longer than that. Mm. Um, that being said, though, they did beat Wall Street expectations. Um, they had uh, Wall Street estimated a revenue of 2.10 billion uh, uh, in revenue, and an actual came in about 2.24 billion. Not so yeah, yeah, a little bit better earnings beat than, uh, or excuse me, revenue beat than than C-Drill had. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, same story as Cedril. This is slightly lower than Q3, down from a year ago period. So um, not completely shocking news mm. uh, that they beat. Uh, in terms of the contract backlog, they're looking. They're sitting pretty well, also 21.2 billion dollars um, as of uh, just last week. So um, plenty of projects coming up. Um, although they did say that uh, you know day rates um, for their for their drill rigs um, coming up this year mm. um, 
likely to experience some difficulty with that just because of what the environment is right now. Understandable. Okay, wait wait, wait a minute. Do you sense that? Something in the air. Here it uh, comes. Tyler Crow. I smell it. Tyler Crow has something to say about all, right. all of this. So something that has been really I, I I've been building on this lately a lot and mm. the more and more I see it, the more I don't understand it, is the concept of consensus earnings mm-hmm. estimates. If you look across these there's supposed to be a consensus, like everybody is in agreement. However, depending on where you go, consensus estimates always change. If you go to Morningstar, it's one thing. If you go to Yahoo, it's another thing. You go to Zaxx, it's a whole different thing. <laughs> what I don't understand, though, is why people even bother making these anymore. So if you're making a consensus earnings estimate, mm-hmm. what everybody is supposed to agree on, it should basically determine what it's going to do. But if you can't... De- agree on it and so you go to one news article and it'll say it beat earnings estimates mm-hmm. and then you go the next page and it'll say it missed earnings estimates right. or something like that. it just doesn't make any sense so pick one <laughs> somebody please pick one there should be like some ultimate authority Universal. on consensus estimates on this is the one and if you don't meet it fine but stop saying one beat one the other and i got another really great one i every single time uh the dumb story of the day. Mm. Uh, as we've started to notice more and more and more, there is just really, really dumb things that are written in the financial media <laughs> Not landscape. from fool.com, obviously. Well, no, no, absolutely not. Our dumb Everything, things are funny. Our dumb thing, yes. <laughs> we, we do it in jest. Yes, we do it on purpose. But here was the best thing that I read. It was that it was the advice that you should sell C-Drill mm-hmm. because its stock has dropped more than some of its competitors. Mm. And what it basically said was argued that since Seadrill is in a worse position than many of its competitors, one being Diamond Offshore, which was the one that they really pointed out, uh, that you should sell C- uh, shares in Seadrill because they have dropped more than Diamond. Now, within the past week alone, this is what has happened. Seadrill uh, has a 94% utilization rate on its rigs. It just secured six new contracts and actually looks like it's weathering the storm pretty well. Right. Uh, two days ago, Diamond Offshore announced that five of its contracts were canceled, mm. and its backlog is shrinking and has been losing money hand over fist. So just because the stock is going down more, you should sell that company mm. than the one that is just hemorrhaging money. That uh, you know that makes a lot of sense to me. I like it. Uh, this is a good teachable moment, by the way. So when you are running the numbers, where are you getting your consensus estimates? Who do you believe, I guess, so our listeners out there can turn to a trusted source? Uh, I really try not to pay attention to consensus okay. estimates in the first place. Right. It, it's more or less along the lines of, because it's basically a report of what happened last quarter. Mm. And basically, somebody threw some numbers in an Excel spreadsheet and said, oh yeah, they should do this, mm. and then have their expectations based on that. And if they miss, great. If they don't, uh, even worse. So what I'm actually looking for more than anything else, especially when we're looking at a rig company, is the things like uh, what kind of contracts are they bringing online? How many of their rigs are currently being utilized at this point? Uh, you know, are they are they spending useless money with rigs just kind of sitting in the stockyard idle, not actually generating any revenue? Sure, contract revenues have been down for a couple companies, but at least they're keeping the rigs running, Hmm. which means that they're going to be making money. Hmm. And that's really what I'm going to be looking for more than anything else. And that was kind of a red flag that I saw with Transocean was that uh, this past quarter, their utilization rate for their ultra high specification, brand new, woo, these things are great. Uh, 
what are known as the ultra deep water rigs was only 69% for the quarter mm. compared to sea drill that had 94% utilization rate. It's basically a sign that sea uh, drill is able to keep its stuff actually employed in a down market where Transocean uh, kind of struggling along that front. Okay. Good to know. Thank you. Thank you for that rant. I've learned a lot, actually, here today. That's from why I do my angry rants. <laughs> I appreciate it, and so do our listeners, I'm sure. Okay, um, moving right along, let's step away from oil real quick, because I have a question for Nate. Uh, First Solar and Sun Power are apparently joining forces and forming something called a Yield Co. Yes. Company? Right. I'm, I'm confused. What in the world is a Yield Co.? And why should I care? So I'll, I'll cue it up a little bit, and then uh, I'm actually I'll pass it off to Tyler because I think he, he's ready to dig in. Oh, he's this. got a rant. Oh, that's yeah, so no, surprising. Not, I, not an angry <laughs> rant. I'm actually no, going to do gonna some objective reporting. Okay, so Nate, what is the yield count? So we have okay. So just to kind of set the scene a little bit, Sun Power First Solar, one of the the two largest uh, players in the solar space. Um, essentially, what they said is they're they're entered entered into. Um, elevated negotiations, basically, to to form this yield code, which basically that means okay, it's it's probably well on its way. Um, but essentially, so what they'll do is um, they'll take assets for each company's portfolio and kind of house them underneath this yield co. Mm. Um, it's it's basically can be compared to um, what other investors might think of as a, a REIT or an MLP, um, in that you know assets are kind of bundled up under this structure, and most of the cash flows um, that are generated from that. Uh, are passed down to the investors, so the shareholders are unit holders in the case of an MLP. Okay. All right. That makes a little more sense, actually. I like that. And, and Tyler, what's your take on this? Yeah. So, I, I mean, kind of going off of that, what, why it makes sense for an investor to do this, uh, you know, since basically what they're doing is they're dropping down utility scale projects, like these large solar farms that we're seeing out in California right now. And these are renewable energy assets which are able to depreciate their value very, very quickly, thanks to those nice, funky tax laws that we have here in the United States. Mm. So easy to understand in so many ways. Of course. But basically what they get to do is they create this odd situation where the company almost generates no, this holding company or yield coat essentially generates no earnings because depreciation is so high. Mm. So it's basically it's not taxed because it can say, oh, our EBITDA was this, but because depreciation was so high, we have zero earnings. Right. So no taxes. Right. Interesting. However, since depreciation is a non-cash transaction, it gets to have this awesome amount of cash flow, which then it can immediately transfer to the investor. Therefore, the investor gets a nice uh, high yield Mm -hmm. on something that isn't taxed twice. Sounds pretty nice. Yeah. It's basically, like you said, the same thing as an MLP or a REIT. The nice thing is about with these yield codes is they are structured as a traditional C-Corp company, Mm. meaning that it's a dividend which you pay capital gains on rather than a distribution that you get from an MLP, which you may have to pay income taxes on. Oh my gosh, this is, I'm I'm already confused. Just tell me, Tyler, as an investor, are you... They are, why would you invest in this yield co? Should I be investing in this yield co? Well, at least for me, the reason I'd be doing it is because of the dividend, and I'm kind of, you know, almost exclusively in dividend companies. Nothing uh, wrong with, with that. mine. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it gives you that stability of the return, even in an up and down, uh, up or down market. Now, the reason that it makes sense for both First Solar and Sun Power, why they will actually want to do this, is they've got these utility scale projects that you know 
they generate a revenue stream, a little bit of cash flow. Mm -hmm. But if you're trying to finance a gigantic utility scale project, you need hundreds of millions, potentially billions of dollars to actually get it done. And if you're only getting that incrementally over you know several years through the revenue that's generated through this, it doesn't work out as much. So you can drop it down or basically sell it to this yield co, get a big lump sum uh, cash up front, maybe keep a little bit of the... the uh, ownership of it so you still get a little bit of revenue stream mm. but that big upfront payment is going to allow them to more aggressively pursue these utility scale projects and keep the balance uh, balance sheet nice and safe so then is this a reason to possibly invest in first solar or sun power does this make them more appealing to you well considering that both companies shot up by like 15 to 20 percent <laughs> after the announcement i'm assuming that wall street liked it very much and it does it it, it gives them a new way to sell their projects and kind of what they're saying is unlock the value of them off of their balance sheets and being able to drop it down like i said it allows them to more aggressively pursue these projects and should help them grow a little bit faster in that particular market of solar going forward very interesting all right i'm definitely going to be keeping my eye on that all right that is it for us and this edition of industry focus tyler crow nate wallingford guys thanks for being here thanks, thanks for having us i'm mark reef thanks for listening and we'll see you next time